بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد So continuing with the narration that we were discussing last um, session the hadith of Abi Hurayata رضي الله تعالى rather the hadith of uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud رضي الله تعالى عنه that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said, لا يحل دم امرئ مسلم إلا بإحدى ثلاث الثيب الزاني والنفس بالنفس وتارك لدينه المفارق للجماعة that the blood of a Muslim is not permissible, not permissible to be taken except in one of three cases the married adulterer a married fornicator, a soul for a soul, and the one that abandons the religion uh, and uh, departs from the jama'ah. And we said concerning this narration that we are going to have a... Yani further, yani we're going to look at this with some detail, for obvious reasons, because of the content of this narration uh, and the climate that we live in, where people are attempting to discredit Islamic law and the rules of Islam and they try to uh, throw accusations against the deen of Islam and they try to use these, these type of matters uh, as a form of ammunition for their attacks. So therefore it's very very important for a person to have understanding concerning these matters. So who can remember what was mentioned? We said that there are some points that are important for us to know. First thing is that this subject here revolves around what? These matters here, the adulterer, the murderer, the apostate, and that their blood is permitted. Does that now mean that common Muslims Muslims like us we are therefore allowed this is an allowance for us to take their blood does it now mean that we can now go around and as vigilantes take someone that is committing a certain crime in the law of Islam and then apply capital punishment upon them can we do that no so what's this in reference to what's this discussion regarding them uh. Muslim leader, Muslim country. It's in reference to law, judicial law, with the court process, with a judge, with a case that is presented. Evidences are analyzed and considered. And the one that passes that judgment, the, the one upon whose head is that responsibility, is the Muslim ruler, the Muslim leader head of state and anybody that he deputizes so, so a minister that is in charge of uh, that part of of, 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 uh, of, of of law the judge that passes the ruling it's the government essentially it's the government that is in charge it's the government that is responsible for that and it's the government that is meant to carry out these capital or corporal punishments in a Muslim country and therefore 
This here is not an allowance in any way, shape or form for a Muslim to do so. Uh, a general Muslim like us, those that aren't heads of state. I don't think anybody here is a head of state, is there? So it's not for people like us to be doing so. In fact, it's not for us who live in non-Muslim countries to be doing so. And neither is it for Muslims that live in Muslim countries to be doing so. The general Muslim population that live in a Muslim country, it's not for them to be doing this neither. If they do that, then that is them transgressing the boundaries of the deen. They are doing something wrong if they do this. Because if they do this, if they then take someone that is guilty of any of these crimes, and then they carry out the punishment upon them, then this is taking the law into your own hands. So for example, in Britain, it is against the law for a person um, not to pay taxes, for example. And it could lead to a person being imprisoned, for example. Taxes, just as, as an example. Person doesn't pay his taxes, and it could inevitably lead to him being imprisoned. Now, does that now mean, when this law exists within Britain, does that now mean that British law now allows us British citizens to catch somebody that isn't paying his taxes? Somebody says to you, you're sitting on the bus, someone says to you, oh, by the way, you know what, I'm not paying my taxes, you know. So now, is it allowed for you, as a British citizen, to take that person as soon as he gets off at his bus stop, take him, so I'm, say I'm doing a citizen's arrest on you, put him in your car, take him home, and imprison him, imprison him put him in your basement for two, three years. That's, now you are committing the crime according to British law, the very same law that has stipulated that not paying your taxes could result in being imprisoned. Now you, according to the very same law, have committed a crime, the committed Committed what crime? The crime of taking the law into your own hands. So in a similar fashion, yes, these laws do exist in an Islamic country. Uh, 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 at the hands of an Islamic ruler, Muslim ruler, through a judicial process, a court and so on and so forth. Yes, these laws do exist, but it's a crime for a Muslim to act as a vigilante and start taking these laws into his own hands. So we're going to look into... Uh, some detail as to what should you do if you know of somebody, for example, that is um, committing fornication. What should you do in that circumstance? We're going to look at this, inshallah. So that was a very, very that was the first and very, very important disclaimer that we had to say. The last thing that we want is somebody saying, you know, the the speaker at this masjid was, you know, inciting people to start taking the lives of others. No, we are continuously and persistently uh, rebut, yeah, warning against this type of action. Those guys in London that were going around putting posters up in East London, I think it is, putting posters up in East London saying, these are what? Muslim patrols, Sharia areas, and things like this. Huh? Sharia areas and no-go zone, no, no zones for non-Muslims, and things of this nature. This is absolutely ridiculous. They're causing more harm to the deen of Islam and they are criminals for doing that. Why? Because you are not obligated with this law. You are not obligated with carrying out these type of, these type of matters. I mean, Sharia 
uh, no-go zones and uh, this type of thing doesn't even exist. Non-Muslim, he can go to a Muslim country and he has protection from the Muslim ruler in that Muslim country. So those, those policies don't even exist. So what they did there was absolutely ridiculous and has nothing to do with our deen. Oh, yeah, so that was the first and very, very, very important matter, that it's in relation to judici judicial law and it's not in relation to the obligations that we as common Muslims are, are obligated to, 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 to carry out, like prayer, zakah, and so on and so forth. Number two was the second point that was mentioned last week. Huh? Wisdom. It's, يعني, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every single belief that is within the Islamic creed, every single law that is within the Islamic law, all of that comes from the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a manifestation of his, of his wisdom. Just like your eyelashes, the hairs in your nostrils, the, 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 the place where your different joints are, the intricacies of your cells and the DNA. And all of this shows what? That the one behind this human organism, he is very, very... Wise, very wise. If it was left for human beings to be able to, if it was left to creation to be able to uh, uh, um, make and manufacture the human organism, it would be an absolute blunder because we have little knowledge as created beings. So therefore the fact that we have this perfect body that we, our soul resides in shows that the one that is behind this body, created this body, yani, that he's extremely, extremely wise. His creation is wise, i.e. his the creation that he's created, that there is an evidence of his wisdom. And that there is a produce of his wisdom, a product of his wisdom. And likewise, the law that he has legislated for his creatures to follow and adhere to, that law as well is product of his wisdom it's a result of his wisdom it shows his wisdom but is it the case that you're going to be able to identify the wisdom behind every single law no you might not be able to there are wisdoms behind every single law and some of them the scholars have elaborated upon them and bil munasabah our brother abu iyad amjad rafiq abu iyad amjad rafiq he's one of the prominent duaat prominent callers to the Sunnah in the Western world. He has been an active da'i for approximately 20, 20, over 20 years. 20, over 20 years. So but obviously before some of us were even born. So Abu Iyad, ta'ala, he is um, conducting a series, a short series of lectures in Bradford in Masjid al-Sunnah in uh, Al-Basira. And it is about the wisdoms, this topic basically that we were mentioning right now. The wisdoms behind the commands and the prohibitions in Islam. The wisdoms behind the commands and the prohibitions in Islam. And he's using a PowerPoint uh, presentation with a projector uh, at the masjid in, 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 his, deliver in, in, his, in his delivery of these, of these lectures. So... Those brothers that are able to attend these lectures, maybe it might be five, six, seven, eight, something like this, a 
series of six, seven, eight <laughs> lectures, fortnightly lectures every Friday at 7.30, Al-Basira, Masjid al-Sunnah in Bradford, 7.30 on Fridays, fortnightly. So this Friday gone by was his first lecture. Go on to SoundCloud forward slash Al-Basira, download it, listen to it. But try to attend those of you who are able, and especially if you have teenage sons and daughters or those that are reaching the age of teenage years, take them and let, make them attend as well. They can take notes because the projector is there. And likewise, the topics are very important. To see the wisdom, why do you have to pray? What's the wisdom behind praying? What is the wisdom behind certain laws of Islam? Very, very important that the children, that the teenagers, that they are acquainted with that. So that was the second point. Tayyib, third point, and I think this is where we stopped last week. The third point, um, and we'll elaborate slightly more upon this today, is that if you look at the conditions that have been stipulated for these capital and corporal punishments to be carried out, if you analyze them, if you see the conditions behind them, very, very, very difficult for those condition, conditions to be met. For example, fornication, adultery. The one that commits fornication and adultery. What are the conditions that are, to, that are required for him to be charged guilty for that crime? Mm. Four witnesses. There has to be four witnesses. And not just any witnesses. They have to be trustworthy. They have to be trustworthy. Known for righteousness. Known for piety. Keeping away from the haram. Fulfilling the obligations. Not known for any of those things that impair a person's manhood. His integrity. That differs from era to era. And from, time and from place to place. For example, in some of the times of the Salaf... If it was the case that they saw you eating ice cream outside in public, that would be a disparagement of your integrity. And it differs again from time to time, place to place, right? Like, for example, somebody comes out in his bathrobe. Somebody, imagine somebody comes here, he wants to give a dars and he has his bathrobe on. You'd lose absolute respect for him. You'd lose his integrity. You would lose his integrity. So that is what you call khawarim al-maru'ah. Those things that impair a person's manhood and his integrity and so on and so forth so the person has to be someone that is upright not just one though not just two it has to be four of them and it can't be the case that those four witnesses merely saw the man walk into a into a um, you know like a place that is not you know, appropriate for a person to go to, if you know what I mean. For that isn't sufficient. N not just that. It's not sufficient for a person, for, four, for those four people, to see a man and a woman, akramakumullah, lying on the bed under the bed sheet, under the bed covers. That isn't sufficient neither. Rather, what is required as far as the laws of Islam are concerned. The very same law that says adultery, it's punishment. As far as the judicial system is concerned, 
is the death penalty. That very same law stipulates that those four upright witnesses have to see the act of penetration occur. Those four upright witnesses, yani, have to see the act of penetration occur. I'm sure you know what it, that is in reference to. And how possible is that to occur? They have to see it as well. They have to see it occur. There, see it occur. How, how likely is that to occur? Not just that. But if, ah, let's see who remembers. What's the other? Uh, ah. If one of them changes his, his mind, he's in doubt. Yeah, he changes his mind, he's in doubt. He, he, take, he makes taraju, he takes his position back, he goes, you know what? I take it back. Yeah, then? So the verdict is cancelled, yeah? And something else as well. Huh. Four of them get whipped. Four of them get whipped, yeah? All four of them, they get whipped because he accused them. He accused them. Kif? Yes, that's right. And the shahada, the testimony, will never ever be accepted. Don't ever expect to see them in the, in the court bearing witness for anything. Their testimony will never be rejected and they are declared as fusaq. As fusaq, evildoers. Does it matter now? What, what if you are you know, a, a very, very pious scholar, pious imam of the deen? Is that an exception now? No exception to the rule, regardless of who you are and what your station is, regardless of who you are. Your back, will, your back will be whipped in public and your testimony will be rejected and you'll be declared as a fasiq. Ah, that's a big deterrent now. And for that reason, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, this is one point that I forgot to mention last session. Last session we had to rush it. Inshallah, we've got more time today. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, it's never, it has never been known from the time of the Messenger alayhi salatu wassalam to today, to, to, to today, until today, and he's referring to his time, which was approximately what, seven or so centuries ago. It's never been known from the time of the Messenger alayhi salatu wassalam since these laws were instated until our time, until his time, until Ibn Taymiyyah's time for anyone to have these punishments carried out upon them, executed upon them, by way of four witnesses. Never happened. Never happened. As far as an Islamic country is concerned. You hear stories about, again, people taking their law into their own hands. You hear about some story in, I don't know, Pakistan, for example, and somebody takes, their, somebody takes one of the boys or girls and then they kill them. And this is, this is ridiculous. That is a crime. That is a crime that they have, that they have committed. They've taken the law into their own hands. They are criminals and they will now have to go through the judicial process and face punishment for what they have done. And there is a qa'ida, there is a qa'ida that we can see, that we can see a qa'ida, a principle from the principles of Islamic law, a principle from the principles of Islamic jurisprudence. 
and that is leave off, avert the hudud, avert the hudud, hudud, yani these prescribed punishments, avert the hudud with the shubuhat. Leave avert the hudud with yani with, 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 with the doubtful matters. What does this mean? Meaning if there is anything that causes doubt concerning whether or not this person is guilty of this crime, then stop it. Don't do it. This is a qaida, a principle that is, that is there is, there is a narration for it. Um, Allahu a'lam about the authenticity of it. But in terms, there is a narration for it. But then, and then there are other texts from which this rule is also based upon. For example, that of the companion. Ma'iz ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Ma'iz ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Who was a companion? who ended up falling into adultery in the time of the Messenger alayhi salatu wassalam. There are several, several, several narrations, uh, several narrations concerning this. Ma'iz goes to the Messenger alayhi salatu wassalam and he says in one of the narrations, Tahirni, purify me. Purify me from what? And you purify me from the, the sin, the sin of adultery. What does the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam do? He turns away from him. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam turns away from him. Ma'iz radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he then goes to the other side of the Messenger. And again, purify me. Purify me. Yani. And he says in, the, in, one, in one of the narrations, um, he says, فَأَقِمْ عَلَيَّ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ He says to the messenger, establish upon me the book of Allah. What does he mean by that? Yeah. يعني what the, the hudud, the hudud that is in the sharia, apply that upon me. Stone me to death. That's what he's saying. That's a second time. Again, he goes to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, and he says, Tahirni, purify me. And he cleanse me from this sin, meaning inflict the capital punishment upon me. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam turns away from him. Then again, Ma'iz says, how many times now? Fourth, fourth time now. Fourth time. Tahirni. The Messenger, in the other some of the other narrations, he says, to his people, yani his people, he says, is he majnoon? Is he crazy? Is he mentally unstable? Is he mentally, un is he insane? Is he insane? So the people, they say, we don't know him to be insane. insane. The messenger says, has he uh, drunk alcohol? See if he's drunk alcohol. So they smell his breath. Smell his breath to see if he's drunk alcohol. And, the and they said, we can't smell any alcohol from him. And then the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, 
He said in what has been reported in some of the narrations, authentic narrations recorded uh, in Sunan Abi Dawood. In fact, in Sunan Abi Dawood, there's a chapter, Bab Rajab Ma'iz ibn Malik, the chapter concerning the stoning of Ma'iz ibn Malik. The Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, uh, he says in, uh, in some of the narrations, um, perhaps you uh, perhaps you only kissed her perhaps you only looked at her perhaps you only winked at her why is the messenger saying this what uh, give him a way out trying to make excuses trying to make excuses for him anyhow it continues. And Ma'iz radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he himself has testified against himself four times. And all messengers may try to make excuses for him. And he's, he's not budging. The man is adamant that he wants this punishment to be inflicted upon him. Now, there is no choice. You have to now. The judge... As soon as, is there, as soon as it is the case that there is no, it's blatant, it's absolutely obvious, the person has admitted it. Because it can either happen via the four witnesses, or it can happen via pregnancy. But even that, there are ways that uh, there are, yeah, that even itself, pregnancy in and of itself isn't a, uh, an absolute evidence. A woman could say she's been raped. Woman could say in the books of fiqh to be mentioned, she could say, I was sleeping and it happened. There are, there are excuses that, a per, that the sharia allows that a person in the West would think, What are you talking about? I was sleeping. And the other manner via which it can be established is i'tiraf, admission, a person admitting themselves. This, Ma'iz has admitted it. So now, when he has admitted it, then there is no choice but to execute the punishment upon him. So when they start to execute, so when the companions start to stone him, it gets too much for Ma'iz radiallahu ta'ala anhum. The pain gets too much, obviously. And he begins to run. He begins to run. This is a proof that he wasn't tied up. This is an indication that he wasn't tied up. He begins to run. One of the companions, he, alongside the other companions, ran after Ma'iz. But the other companions couldn't catch up. This companion was able to catch up. And there was the jawbone of a ba'ir, of a camel. So this companion picked up the jawbone. And he threw it at Ma'iz radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And thus Ma'iz radiallahu ta'ala anhu died. Now, when they returned back to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, and they told him what happened, the fact that Ma'iz radiallahu ta'ala anhu ran away, and therefore I picked up the jawbone of the camel and I threw it at him and he died, what did the Messenger say? He said, هَلَّا تَرَكْتُمُوهُ 
Why did you why did you not just leave him? Why did you not just leave him? What does this mean? Does this mean that um if a person doesn't want the punishment to be inflicted upon him, it can be paused? No, it doesn't mean that. What this means is that why did you not leave him? The, perhaps, because perhaps he has an excuse, or perhaps he now wants to he's he, he's changed his mind. He he, he he's going to um take back take back his statement perhaps Ma'iz will take back his statement because the only evidence that we have is Ma'iz's Ma'iz's uh, admission now if Ma'iz takes back his admission the proof the evidence is gone now so the messenger says halla taraktumuhu why could you not just have left him? Why did you not leave him? Leave him. He'll come back to me. And then perhaps he'll make an excuse. And then he'll seek repentance. And Allah will accept his, his repentance. So what does this indicate? This indicates that the... Uh, 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 number one, it indicates that if a person sees the sin happening himself... You are meant to conceal it. You are meant to. You are meant to conceal it. In fact, there is a narration from the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, um, recorded by, in Sunan Abi Dawood, declared Sahih by Imam Al Albani, from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiallahu taala anhuma. Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam qal, "Ta'afu al-hududa fi ma baynakum." فَمَا بَلَغَنِي مِنْ حَدٍ فَقَدْ وَجَبَ He said, Pardon each other concerning the hudud. Pardon each other concerning these prescribed punishments. Pardon each other. Have this mutual overlooking between yourselves as far as the hudud are concerned. Because as soon as as soon as فَمَا بَلَغَنِي مِنْ حَدٍ As soon as something of had punishment arrives to me, as soon as it arrives to me, the evidence reaches me, then it becomes wajib for me to, to fulfill the punishment. The judge, as soon as the evidence is presented and it's clear, then he has to fulfill, he has to carry out the, the, the punishment. So between yourselves, messenger is saying, pardon each other concerning it. A person, he knows of someone to have committed one of these crimes, crime against himself, for example. Don't, don't, don't take it to the judge. Better for you not to take it to the judge. Better for you not to take it to the, to the courts. Pardon each other concerning it, because once it arrives at the court, then the judicial process has to be carried out. If it's not carried out, then that will be injustice. That on one person, for one person you do it, and then for the other person you don't do it. So therefore that makes sense. Once it arrives at the court, then it has to be carried out. But between yourselves, pardon each other. And if there's any type of doubt concerning these, uh, these crimes, then they cannot be, the corporal punishment, the capital punishment, can't be, can't be carried out. For example, fornication, four witnesses have to be there. Okay, what about nowadays? The person could say there's no need for 
four witnesses. There's no need for even one witness. How? How? Cameras. A camera is there. And it records everything in the detail. All of those things that the Sharia requires. The well, the bucket going into the well. Everything is manifest and visible. Is that now accepted in the court of law? As far as the Islamic court of law is concerned? No. Why? Because there is some shubha there. Even though it may be very, very unlikely, there is some shubha there. What's that shubha? Of it being, huh? Editing, yeah, editing, yeah? Yeah, editing. You can um, manipulate videos and pictures and so on and so forth. So those four witnesses have to have been there, seeing the act take place. And as we said, very unlikely, Ibn Taymiyyah said, none of that has ever happened from the time of the dawn of Islam until, until his time. Seven centuries of Islam, none of that has ever happened. So therefore, even if a person is convicted of this crime and there is video evidence for it, doesn't carry any weight as far as the punishment is concerned, as far as the corporal uh, capital punishment is concerned. So what do you mean, Akhi? Four witnesses. What if the person sees his own wife committing adultery? Does that now mean that he can't accuse her of adultery and that his back will be lashed if he goes and he says she's committed adultery? Well, there's some detail to it, but generally, yes. Yes, if it's the case that you go into the room and you find your wife committing adultery and then you accuse her of it publicly your back could be lashed if, unless you provide the evidences what are the evidences for the corporal punishment to be uh, or the mm, capital punishment to be executed upon his wife the four witnesses that saw the act of penetration how do we know that well, the general evidence, there's a general evidence that you have to have four witnesses. But in addition to that, there is a specific mentioning of such a scenario in the Sunnah. This is the narration recorded by Imam Muslim from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. قال يا رسول الله إن وجدت مع امرأة رجلا أأمهله حتى آتي بأربعة شهداء قال نعم Allah's Messenger والسلام, was asked by Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, O Messenger of Allah, if it is the case that I see a man with my woman, do I leave them? Do I let them be? Do I leave them and wait until I can bring four witnesses? The Messenger said, Naam, yes. Even if it's your wife, you see a man with her committing intercourse, you have to have the four witnesses if you want to take it to the, to the courts. However, because it is the case that the relationship between the wife and the man is something that is totally different to any other relationship, then the person takes his wife to court and he says that my wife, without going into too much detail, because I've just realized we've only got 10 or so minutes left. <coughs> he takes his wife to the court and he says, my wife, she has committed... Adultery, do you have, wit do you have uh, witnesses? No. Okay, well your back is going to be lashed because you've made qadf. 
unless you bear witness against her four times, then ask the curse of Allah to be upon, uh, upon yourself if you are the, the liar. If he does that, then that's an evidence. Now the wife, what does she have now? Same thing. She can now, in response to that, say, or bear witness for herself four times, and then the curse of Allah be upon me if he is, the tr if he is, if he is truthful. So that is the additional aspect that is added, you could say for a lack of better terms, when it is the case that the situation is between a man and his wife. But, as far as the punishment being carried out, he has to bring the four witnesses. And we could go on, and on. there's many, many other issues that we could mention in, related, in relation to this topic. But the main thing that we wanted to emphasize is the fact that the conditions that are stipulated for this capital punishment to be carried out are so high and so unlikely, and so uh, stringent that it's virtually impossible for them to be met. And therefore, what is the reason why these laws exist? Mm. What's the reason then behind the messenger saying that the adulterer is to be uh, killed in an Islamic country through a judicial process? Why did the messenger say this? To stop it from happening. Is it the case that goodness comes about in a society where people are sleeping around and what have you? No. Kids become fatherless. Kids, how many people we can think of that don't even know who their father, don't even know. Their mother doesn't know who the father is. The mother doesn't know who the, who the father is. Broken homes. Uh, so many ills that are produced as a result of that. Uh, and that, that, that is a separate discussion in of itself. But, you know, STDs and diseases and all of these things. Tayyib. Tayyib. So now what we're going to try and discuss in what time we have left is the matter of ridda, apostasy. And this ruling of capital punishment upon the apostate, the one that leaves Islam after having been Muslim. So concerning this, there are perhaps four matters that need to be mentioned. Number one, number one, let's establish certain foundations first. Number one, it is well known, well known, that every single country in the world, every single government, every single form of centralized power, assassinates those people that they consider to be a risk, a threat to their national security or to their personal interests or to the individual elements within that, within that government, within that centralized form of power, within that, within that country. And these are benefits that we took from Abu Iyad, Hafizullah Ta'ala. Now, either those countries are going to be open about it. Because every single country does it, from the east to the west, north to the south. Whether they are communist countries, whether they are so-called liberal countries, every single country does it. But the only difference between those countries is how 
open or otherwise they are about it. So you have number one, those countries that are open about it. Anyone that is a threat to our national security, we'll take him out. People from our own citizens, we'll take them out, like China, for example, North Korea. It's known. Anyone that is a threat to them, anyone poses a threat to their social stability, their national security, then openly that person is executed. The second type of country is that country that is a bit more subtle, not blatantly open. It's a bit more subtle about it, but everybody knows that they have done it. They know that everybody knows that they have done it, but it's just that they don't explicitly say it. A country has certain former secret service agents that have uh, defected from them, and thus you'll find all of a sudden that former agent has now been assassinated, has been taken out. Right? For example, Russia. You have certain former spies and then all of a sudden they're, they're dead, they're killed, they've been murdered. All of a sudden. Everybody knows that that country is behind it. The country knows that the rest of the world knows that they're behind it. But they're just not absolutely open about it. They're a bit more subtle. And the third type of country are those countries that aren't open about it. They do do it behind closed doors. But they're not open about it. They're secret about it, hidden about it. They're very, very cunning and conniving about it. So, for example, a, you might have anyone, anyone that is a threat to what that, whether these individual uh, actions of those countries are legitimate, are legitimate or not, is not what we're talking about. We're just trying to establish the fact that it does happen. It does happen in order for that country's national security to exist and to be stable. The third type are those countries that might consider themselves liberal and so on and so forth, but if something is a threat to their national security or their personal interests or individual elements within that government, within that, uh, within that uh, nation, then that threat, that risk, that person that they consider to be a risk will be assassinated, but they won't be open about it. So, for example, you might have one of those people that they consider to be a threat die in some very, very strange car accident, for example. Or, for example, somebody has access to certain information, and that information that they have access to is uh, a threat to the government, and then all of a sudden that person dies. He, he, he kills himself. All of a sudden that person commits suicide. Or all of a sudden... The engineering of heart attacks occur. You see people all of a sudden having a heart attack. It's a heart attack that was engineered. So these type of things, they happen by at the hands of certain countries that consider people to be a threat to their national security or to their personal interests and so on and so forth, except that they are very sly and cunning about it and they don't do it openly. Okay? So every single country does it. It's just uh, a, a case of whether or not those things are justifiable. We're not saying that those acts that they do are justifiable, but they, every single country has to do it. Otherwise, the stability of a country wouldn't exist. A nation can't exist except if it does do something like this. 
if it does eliminate those elements that they consider to be a threat to their to their social to their social order and 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 stability okay that's a very that's a very very important and the only person that would deny it is somebody that is extremely extremely naive just lives in you know in the twilight zone somebody's extremely naive and he doesn't know what's happening or somebody that is just pretending to be ignorant feigning ignorance everybody virtually everybody knows that this is what happens so what's the principle that we've derived from that that for a country to exist stably that it does assassinate those that they or assassinate those that they consider to be a national a threat to their national security again disclaimer has to be mentioned at this moment in time that this is not an invitation for people to take up arms or to start going to uh, people that have left Islam and apostates that you might know and start saying bro I'm gonna I'm sorry my, my religion says that I have to take you out no 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 if you do that then you're guilty of the crime if you do that that person that uh, uh, killed uh, that person in Glasgow, the Ahmadi. Okay, Ahmadis, they are not Muslims. You don't consider them to be Muslims. Why? Because from, from the uh, conditions of the Shahada, that you ha- or f- from the, 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 the two testimonies of faith, is that you believe in Muhammad as being the last messenger. The Qadianis, they don't believe that. They believe that Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, he is the last messenger, so therefore, they are not Muslims. If you want to call yourself a Muslim, Call yourself a Muslim, but as far as I'm concerned, you're not a Muslim. However, this deed of mine does not teach me to start harming you. Rather, the one that, called, the one that considers, considers himself to be Qadiani, for example, or a Nation of Islam member, or even an apostate, a person should deal with them with wisdom, because a person, he apostates. Generally, you'll find apostates, they'll fit into two categories. Either those that have a financial uh, incentive or um, some emotional basis, emotional experience, or some type of ideology that they are bigoted towards. Then as a result of that, they leave Islam. Financial incentive, an emotional experience that they've gone through, or some type of ideology that they are bigoted and fanatical towards and therefore they leave Islam and now what they try to do is they try to devise pseudo-intellectual arguments to justify their apostasy and then they'll become active in spreading these calculated deceptive lies about Islam in order to justify their apostasy that type of, that type of person, those type of people, they're not entertained that what can you do for them? Those type of people, they are on a mission. They are propagandists on a mission not to be sincere and just to mar the religion of Islam and try to present it other than it actually is. So that type of person, you, just, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. Just let him do what he is doing. Does it mean that you harm him? You, just, you can't do anything. But then you find those that may leave Islam and they believe that they have some type of intellectual uh, argument for their apostasy. They think that they, ha- they have some type of intellectual reason behind their criticism of Islam. These type of people, they should be treated 
with gentleness, with understanding, understanding the context, understanding the situation, understanding their background. These type of and if you look at I mean those that I have come across, the few that I have come across, I think virtually every single one of them was Shi'i. That explains it. What type of he, he never came from Tawheed anyway. He's just going from one form of shirk to another form of one form of kufr to another form of kufr. kufr. And one that I recall, he came from a Brailvi family. He came from a Brailvi background. Again, you know, he, he, before he was worshipping graves, and now he's just worshipping. In reality, he's worshipping Richard Dawkins and, you know, Charles Darwin. In reality, you're following him. You don't know, you don't know the evidence is. So he's just going from one form of kufr to the other. From what I have seen, from what I have met, they are people that are just, you know, confused. They, come, they, have, they have been living in, in virtual kufr anyhow, in shirk anyhow, and deviation. So what they considered to be Islam wasn't Islam anyway in the first place. And therefore these type of people, they should be treated with gentleness, understanding their situation, understanding their background and so on and so forth. I thought that we're going to complete this and go on to the 15th hadith of Qadr Allah Ta'ala. We've been unable to do so. So inshallah Ta'ala next week we'll continue our, it's not really the best situation to be in. To stop the discussion of apostasy and capital punishment at this point. But we put the disclaimer there that it is not in regards to us Muslims that live in the non-Muslim countries to implement these laws, to call to these laws, to invite to these laws, these as, they, as, as the EDL tried to call it, Sharia law. It's not for us to be doing this and neither is it for Muslims that live in Muslim countries to be taking these laws into their own hands. This is only for the Muslim ruler. And, for the, and, and to go through the typical court process that any other crime uh, goes, goes, through, goes through in any other country of the world. Uh, and inshallah ta'ala, we'll complete our discussion of this topic next week. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam wa sallallahu ma'ala nabiyyina Muhammad walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.